Hey, this is Brandon McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Scoop AlScoop.com's podcast. This is season six, episode twenty-three. I'm John DeCarlo, joined again by Kyle Gauss, Sam Cohn, and Sam Newman are with us again. We've got a lot of basketball to get into. Plenty of mailbag questions, news of Temple's first football recruit from the 2022 class. But before we get into that, Kyle's informed us that he has a Grubhub story for us. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, glad to be back. Episode 23. There's not any famous 23s or anything. Um, so over the weekend, Friday, I believe, my, my wife and I used to have a Mexican place in uh, Abington Glenside that we enjoyed ordering food from. Not hard to figure out which one it was from. Uh, ordered food. I pre-ordered it. Pre-scheduled it for 545. Said 545. That'll buy them. This Gauss family eats at six. 5.45 happens. If it shows up late, we can still eat at 6. I'm starting to get a little hangry around like 5.25. So we look at the Grubhub app to say, let's see if they've started the process here. And I, it's, I see Alicia is on the way to the restaurant to pick up food. Okay, 5.27. I'm still looking. I'm still. Alicia appears to be in the parking lot of a hospital, which is across the street from, from the Mexican place. So, okay, 5.30. Alicia has picked up your food. I said, great. Alicia has picked up my food. 531. Alicia has delivered your food. I said, hmm, a minute. I live like 12 minutes away from this restaurant. There's no way she got here in a minute. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she clicked delivered early. And that was that. So I'll, I'll wait until like 545, 6 to see if it gets delivered. See if she's just on her way here. 545 comes, nothing. 550 comes. I'm like, I'm like Russell Crowe in Master and Commander. I'm just looking out the window. I'm literally staring into my street, just waiting to see if a car is coming, is coming in. Nothing, no food. So at this point, I'm like, okay, we got we to gotta reach out to, to Grubhub. So I go on Grubhub and I see I'm number like 378 in queue. I could have been number 3000 in queue. I was going to wait for this. It's going by quickly. It's going by quickly. I finally get in touch with somebody and they say, hey, what do you want us to do? I said, I want you to call Alicia and tell me where the hell my food is. So they say, okay, no problem. We'll contact the driver. They contact, they get back on the phone with me and they say, sir, we, we called the driver the first time she hung up on me and all subsequent times since then, she's sent it to voicemail. So at this point I'm panicking. <laughs> I have my wife call the Mexican place and they go, oh yeah, Grubhub for the Gausses. Alicia picked that up at 5.30. Alicia picked up my Mexican food, went to the car, determined, I want this fundido. I want this quesadilla. I want this enchilada. I'm just taking this shit. And she just <laughs> stole my food. <laughs> I just did not have, so I ended up like, when Meg calls back to reorder it, go pick it up, do all that. But she stole the food. This woman, but her livelihood, I assume this wasn't her first Grubhub delivery order. I assume she's made some money doing this. I assume that they've done like not necessarily a background check, but they at least know who she is. And she risked it all. She put it all on the line for like $40 worth of Mexican food. 
the audacity i literally i was driving to this mexican place white knuckling out of like rage (laughs) i'm like i'm holding the steering wheel just like jesus christ she stole my mexican i was nothing but nice to the actual restaurant because they didn't do anything wrong they threw chips they were great i was like the audacity of somebody to just be like i'm taking this shit this is mine I'm done. I'm deleting the app from my phone. I'm no longer a Grubhub driver and I'm bringing food home for the Never had it happen before. I hope it never happens again. I hope nobody ever has to go through the plight that I went through. What happens if, to, what, what legally happens to Alicia? I imagine Grubhub just either gives her a warning or terminates her, right? If like, Kyle if Kyle ever runs to Alicia in a back alley, it's going to be a problem. I wish it was a more like unique name. I wish it was a name where like... I'm just like sitting at a coffee shop in two years and they mentioned that like the hair in the back of my neck stands up. And I'm like, do you still Grubhub delivery in like 2021? Yeah, I I quit him like on like February 12th. (laughs) It was was one of those situations where you were like, this, you, you recognize this is happening. Like pretty early on, I was like, she stole the food. And yet I still convinced myself for like 35, 40 minutes that maybe she didn't steal the food. Maybe she just did this. Maybe she already delivered it. I even I literally opened the door at one point, like, oh nope, still not here. Stole my food. Petty theft. I'll see you in court, Alicia. <laughs> did Grubhub give you your money back? So that's that's the part that I feel kind of bad about is Grubhub refunded me and then the restaurant gave me the food anyway. So I'm hoping I'm hoping Grubhub just ate that and not like, oh, the restaurant's just not gonna get paid from Grubhub. If that does happen, I feel bad. That being said, I've given them thousands of dollars worth of food over the last six years so or worth it yeah worth of orders so it's what it is mm. uh, how was everybody else's week <laughs> should, uh, I, this is like a well it's not really an unsolved mysteries thing because we know what ha- we clearly know what happened here but i just imagine robert stack getting involved or maybe like locally like jim donovan or dave stratweiser <laughs> The next, the Mexican food place is like, I, I mean, we ended up just giving them more food, man. Like that was the Whatever. resolution. <laughs> Quick up, well, some extra chips. Yeah. Turns out it's Mexican food. It took like six minutes to make. It was ready when he showed up. Like whenever I order, like I'm an Uber Eats guy. Ever so often, I'm a DoorDash Uber, guy. Can I but say whenever, I'm a DoorDash Uber guy? Eats, as well. Uber Eats sucked this weekend. They were running that thirty-hour special for a first-time order. They had no couriers anywhere. Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. We wanted to order something in Bryn Mawr, like uh, too far. We're, we're, we're eight minutes away. So sorry, just venting. Go ahead, Sam. That's okay. I am at the mercy of being in a city. So usually there's, you know, drivers around. But whenever I order any takeout food online or like any person, any person's delivering my app, I am like Kyle pressed against the window. I am a hawk <laughs> to my phone watching the driver because I, I don't know if I've ever actually had food stolen. I think I've maybe had probably one order that just didn't show up. So it was probably stolen or given to someone else by accident. Mm-hmm. But I am a hawk on my <laughs> phone watching the driver. And there was one time where the driver, like, instead of taking a left on my street, went straight past it. And sometimes they, like, take a different way to my to my apartment. And I'm like, I don't know. But then they, <laughs> they usually show up. But a guy goes past and he keeps going north. And I'm like, what's this guy doing? So I sent him a message and I said like, oh, I'm outside because I knew he was like kind of close. And then he went past it and he sent a message and said he had to drop another order off first that Uber Eats did not tell me he was doing. Mm. So I'm, I'm with you in the paranoia of where's my food when I order it and putting, putting my hunger and my state in the hands right. of a stranger to deliver my food. One other time, time I ordered pizza from a pizza place on like Columbus Day or some shit and 
it waited like two hours of it being like it's in process i'm like what the hell is going on i finally called the actual restaurant and i got like a voicemail being like it's columbus day we're not working and i was like they just never updated their grub hub hours i was sitting there for two hours being like it's coming it has to be coming why would the worst they would update their hours that's the worst part about ordering on those apps is sometimes you can order like if a place closes at 10 i've ordered at 9 30 and then it just never showed up because they either didn't start it, they didn't take that it, happens. or that's happened. That's the most annoying thing is you got to be careful when to order. When it I was a pizza, hours. when I was a pizza delivery boy back in like 2009, uh, early AIDS, early whoa, early AIDS, early, early days of uh, like online pizza delivery were an extent. I would come in and like open the next day, and there would be like six orders printed out on the printer from like 2 a.m. And we would close at one and they would just never update the hours. So I, I always feel bad because people were sitting there for probably an hour and a half drunk or high or something, wanting to order pizza. And I'm just like, yeah, we, sorry, I'll just chuck them in the trash and keep going. I know the answer to this is probably no, but is this at all karma no. for the time that you ordered nachos pizza from about 45 yards away when we were living on Daly Street? And I was like, you know, you could have walked right down there and you were like, in my defense, the first time I didn't know it was that close. The subsequent time, I am who I am, man. Like, what do you want to say? I thought you were going to say, is this karma for when you were a delivery driver? The worst thing I ever did when I was a delivery driver is at one, one entire summer, Domino's had come out with uh, lava cakes, little individual lava cakes, and we were giving away a free one with every order, more than like 20 bucks. So like every order is like over 20 bucks. You're going to, but what I would do is I would take them and I would leave them in my car and mm. then I would go deliver it. And if they said, Hey, where's my lava cake? I'd say, Oh crap. It's in my car. Hold up. If they didn't say that I would just eat the lava cake. So like, so I'd say on like a 21, 22 order day, I would eat like 10, 12, 14 lava cakes. <laughs> and I did this for like three weeks. <laughs> so like, That's evil. That is evil. I would literally be driving back to the, to the store, just eating a lava cake. You sound like Bobcat Goldthwait in some sort of eighties movie. He would, he would do this in some sort of role i can't i'm not even gonna attempt to do a bobcat voice but uh i wish what, what's what's the one one wild summer one crazy summer one crazy summer <laughs> little, who's a little fat kid in <laughs> were, were you that little fat kid no no, no. <laughs> Great moment. before before the, the sam's time sam newman any uh any grubhub stories you want to get off your chest no no I, I i don't really have any grievances to air um i i mean i've had times where it just doesn't show up and, you know, I get pissed off and, and call customer service, but n none where I'm w watching like a hawk or, uh, you know, have to worry about my food getting stolen. So, no, I, my, my stories don't really pale in comparison to, to Kyle's. And Speaking of steals, you know what is bad at steals? Temple basketball. Temple basketball. There we go. <laughs> wow, what a transition. <laughs> what a transition. So, yes, let's talk about this struggling Temple basketball team that has now lost five straight games. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, 72 66 road loss at Tulsa, where they have never won. Temple is now 0 7 all time at Tulsa. Uh, so the Owls played without Damian Dunn. You're actually going to hear from him a little bit later in the podcast here. Uh, for those of you who are subscribers to Owl Scoop, uh, hopefully by now you read. Sam Cohn's piece on Damian Dunn. There's good stuff there. Uh, we got a clip from that interview. Now, Damian Dunn did not play last night, was out with a knee injury that he sustained at Cincinnati. Uh, Aaron McKee said that they'd get him evaluated after getting back to Philly. The team stayed in Cincinnati and flew right to Tulsa, so they hadn't been home. Uh, not a lot of good stuff to report from this game, other than maybe 
some of the bright spots from some of the younger guys, but uh, you know, Temple shot nearly 49% from the floor, but they had 19 turnovers. They have 176 this season through 13 games. So they're averaging 13 and a half turnovers a game. They're 144th in the country in that category. They're last in the American and turnover margin at minus 2.46 per game and ninth out of 11 teams in assist to turnover ratio. Uh, we'll get to the defensive numbers a little bit later. As Kyle said, they're, they're, they're not producing a lot of steals they're not blocking a lot of shots. Uh, JP Mormon, started was scoreless in 18 minutes Trey Perry gave them just four points in 25 minutes instead as I mentioned before it was the younger guys who finished uh kind of flashed a little bit in getting them back into the game Quincy Adam McCoy had nine points didn't miss a shot Nick Jordan had four points in 18 minutes Sam you covered the game for us last night obviously the the, the numbers are what they are the team's struggling what, what do you take from last night I think I guess take from last night slash thinking about the last couple of games is a, the turnovers and B what kind of the rollover snowball effect of the turnovers is specifically looking at last night, you're playing without your leading scorer. Um, and in a lot of ways, you're sometimes go to offensive facilitator just because he's a little bit more experienced on this roster than someone like Jeremiah Williams. Uh, so Caleb battles in the starting lineup in Damian Dunn's place. They turn the ball over 19 times against Tulsa and the snowball effect of that is Tulsa's getting 13 more shots and they're shooting at a worse percentage and they're still winning the game. And math would say that that's a bad thing. So, and Aaron McKeed said post game, the, the whole concept of uh, Damian Dunn is a guy that can slow the game down for them. He's a guy that can get a buck. And this is something we've talked about before um, in, earlier in the season that Damian Dunn is the kind of guy that when they need a bucket, they can look to him to just get to the free throw line or to just get a bucket on the interior, just someone that like when they need a spark and when they're in a drought, he can kind of be that guy. And against Tulsa, they really didn't have that guy. So much of the first half was a slow start and they're kind of just hanging around. They weren't able to get into a groove offensively. And then the second half, they fall down as much as, what was it, like 17 maybe? And then, John, as you had mentioned, the bright spot of this game was a lot of the younger guys and Jeremiah Williams, Nick Jordan, and Quincy Adam McCoy. I think Quincy hit back-to-back threes. One of them banked in, counted if you want it. Uh, and Jeremiah Williams and Nick Jordan, like really, I think this was probably the coming out game for Nick Jordan of someone of showing that he's shown flashes of a lot of this stuff, but showing like he can be a presence inside. He did have a handful of mistakes. He wasn't perfect, but he did a lot of things well. And he did a lot of things that helped the team. I think that's most important for his growth. And Jeremiah Williams obviously is continues to be a spark plug for this team. So I said, I would say that my holistic view of this is, uh, is you got your first look at an offense without, um, Damian Dunn in it. And I think that was, it was telling to they they have to find other guys to make plays. I just want, yeah, I just wanted to follow up what Sam said. I, I mean, you know, obviously Sam had the coverage. I, I offered some commentary of my own, uh, <laughs> but I, I had a tweet that I, that I think kind of summarizes this summarizes this up pretty well. I mean, this game really is an indicative of, of who Temple is as a team, but it put the team's greatest deficiencies on full display, poor shooting, which, you know, uh, gets them off to a poor start and they can't really dig themselves out of a lot of turnovers and foul trouble. Jake Forrester played Sam. I don't know. He did. He play. I think he played less than 20 minutes. He fouled out with like three minutes left in the game. The, a lot of the fouls were silly. Um, it's just getting to a point where like, I don't know how much they need what they can do at this point with, with him in foul trouble. Like Aaron says it every time. And I, you could see like, we didn't even ask Aaron about it last night. Cause it's not worth it because it's like, he, he, what, what is Aaron going to say that he needs to get out of foul trouble? Like he needs to put his hands up. It's just something like he, he's just kind of like um, allergic to not fouling 
people right now. So that's something he's got to work on. And, um, but, but it's, it definitely hurts the team because I mean, I know we have this question coming up later, but they don't really have that, that guy behind him. Arashma Parks has not been playing at all. And Nick Jordan is still, you know, he's still raw. I mean, he played 18 minutes, but he's not yet that he's not a rim protector. That's not what kind of what he is on the court to be. But when he is, I mean, he, he, like I said, he's still like in development. So have it. So not having Jake out there definitely killed them last night. And it, and it kind of played to their downfall. Yeah. Kind of just piggybacking off that. One of the areas that really sticks out when Jake's not on the floor and you're forced to roll out Nick Jordan, who's young, or you go a little smaller with JP or Dre as a big is they, this looked like, like dumpies last year, whenever, whenever they would have a bad game where they just get completely dominated on the offensive boards, like Houston used to do it to them a lot. Darian Jackson went out and has five offensive boards and a lot, a couple of them were honestly uncontested. Um, I, it really seemed like they, the stats don't look that terrible. Like that, but they didn't really like, they, I think they out rebound them actually 30 to 28, too, yeah. but offensive rebounds, Tulsa gets 11. That gets plenty of second chance points. Temple had next to no second hand, second chance points. And if you're not a good shooting team, and you're not going to force turnovers, you can't get out. You can't allow easy offensive rebounds. One more thing I want to add um, is that we, we can't overlook the fact of like what, even if Jake Force is not the one A with the ball in his hands or be the one scoring, what he does for them offensively when they have those pieces around the perimeter, um, I think is invaluable for this team just because of the space he can create and the attention he draws inside. If they can kick it down to him down low, if he can catch it on the hot, like, couple steps off the block or in the high post, uh, it opens up a lot of the floor for them and for guys, to, other guys to make plays, other guys to get scoring opportunities. So to not have him on the floor, they really don't have, as Sam had mentioned, Nick Jordan isn't that established guy in the interior. J.P. Mormon and Joy Perry are not those guys in the interior to put their back to the basket and make a play. So he opens up the floor a lot. So when you don't have someone like him on the floor, it makes it harder. And then add Damian Dunn being absent in the, into the mix and it's, it's just layered problems at this point. Right, so let's I mean let's look at some more numbers here. If you kind of hit the reset button, Temple's again four and nine now, one and five on the road. So the numbers are are what they are, regardless of where they are in any sort of rebuilding effort. So Temple's tenth out of eleven teams in the American scoring offense, ninth out of eleven in scoring defense. They're also the second worst shooting team in the league. They're shooting less than forty percent from the floor, thirty nine point five percent. Only two lanes been worse. They're dead last in the American three point field goal percentage defense. Houston leads the conference and holding teams at just 25.5% shooting from beyond the arc. I mean, that's terrific. We know they're one of the best teams in the country. Temple's allowing teams to shoot better than 34% from three. Uh, although that's not really what hurt them last night necessarily. It was more turnovers. And, and uh, as Kyle pointed out, the offensive rebounds, they're second to last in the league in block shots. Uh, as Kyle mentioned before, no, he was talking about steals. They're dead last in the conference in steals. So they're not really affecting game-changing plays at that end of the floor. So here's my question to you guys, and it's an obvious one. It's one that, that fans are talking about now on our message boards and Twitter. Uh, I get fans um, or friends rather texting me about this. It, they're just, you know, this is a fan base that's that's ticked off. It's upset. It's now going on 20 years. We we didn't expect this to be a tournament team this year, but it's now going to go on 20 years now for a, a program that hasn't been to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. What do you tell a frustrated Temple fan right now who's wondering if things are headed in the right direction. And if you're trying to convince them that things are headed in the right direction, do you actually believe what you're telling them? So I want to go around the horn here. We'll start with you, Sam Cohn. The first thing I would tell a frustrated Temple basketball fan is that Rome was not built in one day. 
Yes, it's Aaron McKee's second year at the helm. Yes, it's a cliche. Yes, it's a cliche. And if there's anything I've learned in then taking any class with John DiCarlo, it is that don't use cliches, but I'm ignoring that for the sake of this podcast. I'll just, I'll just roll those eyes. <laughs> um, there, it's Aaron McKee's second year and they have an entirely new team. Even if this wasn't a pandemic year, I still wouldn't expect this team to be a tournament team. There's so much that goes into adding nine new guys into, into the mix, into a rotation of a team. Um, there's so many new pieces. And Aaron McKee's still establishing who he is as a coach and what he wants to do. And when you don't have an offseason to implement a lot of stuff, when you barely have practice time through half the season to implement what you want to implement, it's hard to gain any traction for making things happen. So the gist of what you're seeing this season with no, with virtually no offseason and limited practice time through the first third of the season, we'll call it, is he's teaching his guys how to just play basketball together. And that's like the old, I mean, I guess it's the old saying of like, when, when you're teaching a team, it's like, okay, here's a set you're going to run. But if this falls apart after two passes, just play basketball. Like just understand how to play. And that's what he's, I think, I mean, my, my understanding, I'm not in practice. I'm not talking to Aaron McKee on a daily basis, but my interpretation of it is that they're at the point where like they have sets they're running. Obviously they have offenses they're running and they have things they look to, but for the most part, it looks like a lot of it is just learning how to play basketball together and figuring each other out. And that's something we've talked about is the chemistry grows as these guys get a better understanding of where each other are on the floor, having guys get more into the mix, seeing guys like Nick Jordan and Quincy Adam McCoy take strides. So the last thing I'll say in terms of to answer that second question of, you know, if I've of are things headed in the right direction? And do I genuinely believe that? I would say yes, because I think if you look at individual instances, you can see strides made. If you read my story, you can see where Damien Dunn has made strides. If you look at uh, the Tulsa game, you can see where Nick Jordan has made strides. If you look at, um, you can see Quincy Adam McCoy's made strides from the Tulsa game too. You can see where Jeremiah Williams has made strides. It's looking at these young guys improving. It's looking at someone like Caleb Battle playing well in spurts. And it's looking at the recruiting class as Hasir Miller is probably the best player in the city right now. And Zach Hicks also playing extremely well for Camden Catholic, just passing the one uh, 1000 point mark in his high school career. So I think looking at the future, I think the future is bright for Aaron McKee's um, squad. I think what he, I think with, a, with an off season and with a full season, I guess, ahead of them, I would say they're headed in the right direction, but you have to account for all the hardship they've gone through this season I'll on be- top of the fact that it's, you know, first year with a new roster. Based on a, a, a tweet that you had last night, Kyle, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Well, take the, th- take the wind out of my sails. Uh, first <laughs> of all, I really, I really like the follow-up question of, do you actually believe what you're saying? Because I, I say a lot of things I don't believe. And I, it's like to play devil's advocate a lot. But no, uh, do you yeah, like think- Grubhub, Kyle? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> do you like Grubhub? I might be more of a DoorDash person too. But to the actual Temple question, yeah, I think I think you're kind of hinted towards it, John. I mean, they went from they were down 17 with seven left. They roll out a lineup of five new guys. Granted, one of them's a redshirt senior and Brendan Berry. They get that down to five. Ultimately, get it down to lose by six. It's just so many new faces, and there's so many people learning how to play together. And you look back at kind of what was the worst loss of the year? That two-lane game that they get curb stops, right? Since then, they lose, four, lose. They continue to lose. They haven't won since then, but they've lost four straight games in single digits. You've seen guys like Jeremiah Williams, who since that game is averaging twelve point eight points a game. He's kind of continuing to come into his own. Last night's game, for as bad as it was at one point, ends up being a six 
a six-point loss to a team that they have never beaten in Tulsa. 78.8% of their points and 68% of the minutes from the games were from completely brand new players that didn't get to practice together. Do I believe that they are on the right track? Yes. I think Heiser Miller is a, a plug and play guy. I don't think he's all of a sudden going to come in and play 30 minutes a game, but we're talking about how Temple can't force turnovers. Heiser Miller can, can force turnovers. I, I think you're seeing, oh, they, they can't, they're getting out muscled on the rebound on the boards. Sage Tolbert's sitting out this year. He's probably your number two big. You're getting bigger with Zach Hicks coming in. Not that all of a sudden he's going to be banging in the paint, but he has the length that you see them going down the right path. I think the unfortunate question is how do you kind of kind of teeter on that line of let's embrace the future and the young guys with Quincy and, and Nick Jordan and Caitlin Battle and Damon Dunn with while also paying respect to the guys that have been here for four years and JP Mormon and Dre Perry, who might see their roles fluctuate. Um, it's not, not a decision I would want to make, but I think it might be a question that needs to be answered at some point. Yeah, to, to go off Kyle's point, um, I think, you know, mentioning that the length that they don't have right now, um, this is something that we've brought up from time to time. They don't have Jaleel White. They don't have Sage Tolbert. Those are two guys who can help them immensely next season. Um, and that's what uh, either one of them stepping on the court, but we know that what they can bring from size wise. And I think coming into the season, we said Temple can offer some matchup nightmares with their ability to, you know, size up against other teams with Brennan Barry and, and um, maybe Ty Strickland being two of their smaller guys and the rest of the team is what, like six, four or taller. Um, so, you know, they're missing that aspect. And I think they're trying to mold themselves as kind of like a Houston team where they can, you know, a bigger guarded team who, who can kind of, out physical you that sort of stuff um and i think that they're trying to mold themselves around some of the teams that have been have been able to maintain that sort of success and then the american like houston and cincinnati i think we've seen glimpses of that and it, i understand the frustration i think we all do at this point um but i think you have to look around college basketball look at all the teams that are mostly built around freshmen new pieces look at duke look at north carolina look at kentucky it's all a down year for them kentucky is six and thirteen like that's for Kentucky, that's ridiculous. Um, and I know asking Temple fans to, to be patient is, is tough. I mean, as John mentioned, it's been almost 20 years since they've been in the second um, round of the tournament. So I don't think any of us expected them to be in the tournament this year. Obviously, I think maybe we might have expected them to be be able to string more wins together, but you know, that comes with development. And I mean, the fact of the matter, the matter of the fact is, is that four out of their last five losses have come down to final possessions. They've been in the game and in some games they, they should have won. And and I know, I think we'll bring this up just to, you know, um, later with Sam kind of talking about, you know, the plays that they run at the end of the game, but they're still learning how to play with each other. And um, I think there, there are signs of encouragement. I definitely think, especially the last night, when you have got your true freshman guys like Jeremiah Williams, Nick Jordan, and Quincy Adam McCoy developing right before your eyes, like that that's encouraging. And I, I know Temple fans don't want to hear about moral victories. And frankly, like as, as a fan of teams who have, who have gone through developments like the Mets and Jets, I, I you know, I, I am right there with you. I don't, I don't like moral victories either, but for what the season is and where, what the roster is building and what Aaron is trying to do, I think we can see that it's just, it hasn't materialized in certain ways just because, you know, they've been on pause for, they were been on pause multiple times. They've had to deal with the fluctuating schedule. They've had to deal with other teams, you know, being on pause and, and whatever. And I mean, look at what they were last. They were in, couldn't come back to Philly. They were in Cincinnati, had to go to Tulsa. So, and, and they still went to Tulsa and they were down by 17 and, and very nearly could have pulled that game off. So, yeah, I understand. I think 
understand the frustrations. I am somebody who trends to towards optimism just with this team, just because I think I see where the vision is. And I think I see like the light at the end of the tunnel and I want, and, 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 and it's just something that, you know, you can see it materializing, but it's not fully there, but I understand at the same time, the frustration. So it's, it's, it's hard to, I know it's probably hard for us to, to preach patience, especially I, I know I'm no, no position to say, Hey, like calm down, be patient. Like you got, I mean, the fans have been waiting for a while, but I think, if this program is headed in the right direction, this program is headed in the right direction. And I think there've been glimpses of that. They just need to be able to put it together. And if they get like, you know, an actual off season to do so, we'll, we'll see it. Sam, I want to emphasize something really quick that you had mentioned when thinking about like, are they headed in the right direction? And do we really believe it? They're on a five game losing streak. Their last four, Three of them have been one possession games and the fourth was a two possession game. They're in these games. They probably had no business being in the Tulsa game. A, without Damian Dunn. B, lacking Jake Forrester late in the game. But they still went on a 20 to 8 run and found ways to stay in games. They have lost the last four by two possessions or fewer. They're in these games with middle of the pack, decent teams in the American Athletic Conference. I think it's just at least worth saying again just because like they're they're right there they're playing despite the fact that they're turning the ball over so many times they are right there in these games you saw uh, the other night against Tulsa whenever you listen to this you saw the other night against Tulsa what happens when they don't turn the ball over imagine if they didn't turn the ball over that much how like how much better their offense would be i think that should show you enough of how bright the future could be including the addition of Sage Jaleel Hasir Zach Hicks and a healthy cohesive team well, Sam, you mentioned that they only had six turnovers in the second half is pretty evident. And I and just to go in your point two possession game. And before I turn over to John, I felt like I've talked a lot, but um, if Brendan Barry hits that three pointer, like, you know, we're having a different conversation. That was the best look he got all night. And, you know, it was unlucky and it was kind of par for the course for what happened last night. But, you know, we, like you said, we saw what happened when they don't turn over the ball double digits. They only turned it over what six times in the second half and they nearly and they scored 44 it. points. Yeah. <laughs> So is it just – before I get to something else I want to ask you, Sam, a simple question, why are the turnovers happening? Is it just practice, 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 adjustments at halftime? Is it just the youth? How do you find that line where, you, you, again, like – and this is – I'm, I'm keeping along these lines because we're having – if we're having this conversation with fans, what, when, when is it okay for them to, to, to have a legitimate gripe and say – yeah, but they shouldn't be turning it over 19 times, even if they cut it down the second half. Why are the turnovers happening? Is it just youth and inexperience, and it's as simple as that? I think it's always fair to have a gripe about a team turning the ball over too much. There's never really an ex- a quote-unquote excuse to turn the ball over 19 times in a game. Um, but if I were to credit it somewhere, I would just say there there are issues – There there are in, uh, I don't want to say issues. There are inconsistencies with decision-making and with – chemistry on the floor i guess of like there's been improvement but there's been issues where guys just don't make the right decision guys don't make the right reads on plays plays fall apart and there's a difference and aaron mckee said this a couple times that the more frustrating ones are the live ball turnovers because that's what leads to points at the other end of the floor you can't make a bad pass that gets intercepted and is going the other way you can't fumble the ball that gets picked up for an outlet pass and is going the other way live ball turner live ball turnovers kill them it's different when the ball goes out of bounds, but if they can limit the live ball turnovers, if they can find ways to, uh, to cut down the turnovers as a whole, I think you're looking at a different team. 
Yeah, I think just follow up a little bit. I think there is there's always going to be some level of turnovers with this team. I mean, this is a team that for as ridiculous as he can be at times and for the circus shots that he makes at times, like Caleb Battle is prone to turnovers. Like that I don't think is going to go away a year from now when all of a sudden they've played more games together. But I think there at one point during the game against Tulsa, he's in the paint. He tries dishing it to somebody in the wing. I can't remember if it was Quincy or if it was Jordan, actually. And they're just not where they're supposed to be and just go straight into – uh, I think it was straight to the bench. So I think situations like that can be resolved, but like at a certain point, like you are who you are. Oh, I do want to say one more thing. And um, I guess we'll get to my story later, but uh, in my conversation with Damian Dunn, he had mentioned like one of the things he's learned a lot this year about his game and his development is through watching film with Aaron McKee and through watching film with Mark Macon is decision-making is knowing like, okay, you have the ball on the perimeter and he drives, he, knowing when to pull it back, knowing when to kick it out, knowing when to find his teammates. So it's not like they're just ignoring these issues, which I don't think anyone expects them to be ignoring these issues. But I think it's just at least noteworthy to say, like, these are something that – these are the kinds of things that they're going over in detail and specifically about, like, what's why these turnovers are happening and why they're dribbling into double teams and then what do you do from there, knowing where to put the ball, knowing when to kick it out, knowing when to move the ball, things of that nature. Sam, you along those lines, you recently tweeted out, uh, you recently tweeted about the late game set that they run on offense that hasn't had much success. Uh, you in the tweet said, "Excuse the, the the crude nature of the of the of the drawings here." Um, I People did not like my poor drawings. There I, has I, to I, have been a better a better outlet for it, right? Like there has I, to be some software you could download with boop boop. <laughs> I looked for apps. I couldn't find anything good, and I wanted to get it out before the game. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of one of my friends one of my friends texted me and said it looks like someone dared you to draw that in ten seconds. <laughs> I was I, I liked it. I liked it. So if if you had to explain what you're seeing to fans, do they have an offensive identity, or or are they? Are they giving their young players too much freedom or is it best to, to not have a structured offense with a young group? I mean, because you, you talked earlier about how, sure, they have some sets and then if those sets don't work, you just have to learn how to play basketball. I mean, it's never seemed to be Aaron's style to really hem things in too much on offense. And it looks like he wants to uh, get have his guys get out, run the floor, give him some freedom. But is that is that hurting him a little bit right now? I want to go back to your first question first about do they have an offensive identity? And I think right now it's hard to say definitively, and I hope I'm understanding this, reading into this question correctly, it's hard to say definitively that they do. Mm-hmm. Because an offensive identity or identity of a basketball team is, like, it means that you do one thing really well and that you do other things that complement that. Right. An example on the other side of the floor is that Syracuse's identity is playing a 2-3 defense. They don't have, or, you know, teams that, are they shoot the lights out or teams that, you know, or story for another day, yeah. but an offensive identity looks like teams that pound the ball inside looks like teams that, you know, the like and a pro examples, the Spurs have incredible ball movement and pass the ball really well. They don't have one thing they do consistent, like do well on a consistent basis. And they have to look for different things to do well with different matchups, i.e. looking for Caleb Battle and Brendan Barry to shoot the lights out one night or looking for Damian Dunn and Jeremiah Williams to attack the to attack the interior one night or looking for Jake Forrester to kind of have his way, open up the floor. Like there are different things that go well for them and get them wins on different nights against different teams, against different matchups. So it's hard to definitively say that they have an identity. 
uh, or specific offensive identity. And I think that what it will be and what it will grow to be is a team gets up and down the floor, a team that moves the ball well, a team that shares the ball. I tweeted a clip a couple weeks ago of I'm blanking on who it was against. Um, maybe this home game against Cincinnati, but basically ball comes off the, off the glass. And I think it was like ba- Brendan Barry to Jake, Brendan Barry to Jake Forrester to Caleb Battle, Damian Dunn to Jeremiah Williams bucket ball didn't touch the floor. I think that's the identity they want. They want a team that flies up the floor, doesn't put the ball on, doesn't put the ball on the floor, but flies up the court and is able to move the ball well seamlessly. I think that's what you're looking for in terms of what their identity will be. But going back to that idea of like, this is a young team. This is a new team. These are guys are coming in from different places that have played different styles of basketball. Uh, Caleb Battle had said when we asked him post game about, um, I think Sam was the one that asked him about like, what did you see from uh, Quincy Adam McCoy and Nick Jordan, like from these young guys. And he said something along the lines of um, like, they're young guys. He said they're doing some similar stuff that he did when he was a freshman, but they've shown a lot. Um, like in, he said in practice, there's going to be days where Nick Jordan has his way on the offensive glass. And there's going to be days where Quincy Adam McCoy hits eight threes in practice, but it, it, it takes time for those things to translate to games. Same thing with Dre Perry that Jimmy Fennery told us on this podcast. Like there are days where he's a knockdown shooter in practice. And with time that, that kind of thing translates to games and with reps and like as the season progresses. So another thing that we, we mentioned earlier is that Sam talked to Damian Dunn, Temple's leading scorer. They played without him last night. So he is leading the team with 13.8 points per game. He's shooting 33.1% from the floor, 76.8% from the foul line. Obviously he wants to get those totals up, gets to the line a lot. Um, we're going to play a clip here, uh, in a second, Sam, one of the things that you, you know, talked about in the story and, and we're going to hear it in this clip is, um, obviously goes out, plays well in the opener against NJIT and then Houston just really puts the clamps on him and really just denied him the ball, just made things really uncomfortable for him. And then he talked to you about, you know, what that, what that's done for him this season. Again, he's far from a finished product. Um, what, how have you seen his game progress? And and you talked earlier in, in the podcast about how they look different without him, not just in terms of what missing the points, but how he affects the offense. How do you think that Houston game early on in the season affected him? We'll hear him talk about this in a second, but what do you think it did for his development? I think more than anything, it was humbling to him. The fact that like he realized he can't against every team and every matchup. And he had said like, Houston's not the only team that's going to defend him like that. And that was like when he, that was when it really hit him like, in, in the sense that he's playing serious college basketball that other teams understand who he is and know his, are going to know his game are going to know his scouting report that he can't jab step, take two steps to the left at the elbow pump fake, hope to get a guy in the air, draw contact and get the foul. Every time teams are going to understand what he's looking to do and he has to adjust his game to that. So I think a, it was hum- like the biggest thing he learned was humbling in the fact that, you know, who he is as a basketball player and other teams are going to understand who he is. He's not going to get that every time. And B, it just made him more aware of his decision-making and what to look for. And as I had mentioned before, uh, with him dissecting film with all the coaches, uh, specifically with Aaron McKee, he said all the coaches have been a huge help to him in his growth, but he specifically pointed out watching film with Aaron McKee and with Mark Macon about that decision-making. And I had mentioned in the story that he said, those are two guys that have quote unquote been through it all. They know every level of basketball and they understand basketball on such a deep level that like they've helped, they've helped him in terms of make those, that kind of decision-making and that kind of floor awareness about what to look for and reading the offense. Because although 
Jeremiah Williams is your starting point guard, and he's all he's he's oftentimes the offensive facilitator. Damian Dunn has the ball in his hands a lot, and they look to him a lot to make plays in the offense and to kind of look for holes in the offense and make things happen. So I would say the decision making is the biggest way he's improved, and just having like his maturity and his focus on what to see in an offense. And more importantly than anything, and this goes for him as well as the whole team, and Aaron McKee said this a lot, that they put their emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. If they can make things happen defensively, that all translates into offense. you got to you know, get yours at the defensive end to then get yours at the offensive end. All right, so here is an excerpt from Sam's conversation with Damian Dunn, again, talking about what he, looked, uh, what he learned and what he took from that, uh, that initial game against Houston. It, it, you know, just – you know, I still watch that game to this day, and uh, just going back and and looking at it, it's it's like I said, it all just comes back from you know making making adjustments on the fly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and after the first half that I had that game, you know, just coming out empty that half, and you know, not really getting on the board, you know, not really rebounding well, uh, not really playing you know, good defense like I should have been, you know, not scoring the ball. And um, it's just learning, really just learning to adjust, you know, just learning, just looking at how aggressively, you know, they were switching up on me, you know, how how fast they were uh, when it came to ball screens, how much, you know, they were kind of funneling it, you know, the ball to, to get on my hands a lot much quicker, you know, how, how they were denying me the ball, you know, how, and um, it's just something I learned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just was watching it and just learning, you know, how to impact the game in other ways, you know, even without the ball. And there's other ways that you can do it. And, um, you know, I felt that game, I was kind of so keen on, you know, just, just getting the ball in my hands and trying to make plays for others, you know, with, with the ball. And, uh, and that's just something that they, they didn't want me to do. And, um, you know, I kind of knew that coming into it. But it, uh, I didn't expect it. To, to come so heavily and so fast like it did mm-hmm. and uh it happened so um so yeah you know it's i'm glad i i kind of had that experience to you know just to kind of play against that type of that type of defense and that type of intense intensity level you know my second game really in my college career and it, it opened up a lot uh for me and i learned a lot from it so uh definitely grateful for that opportunity but uh Definitely looking forward to to a lot more of those battles, you know, coming coming up here soon within the next months and years uh, to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you kind of start to allude to it, but when you you say you watch that game to this day, like how did that game change the trajectory of your growth for this season? And what is it specifically about that game that like like that you're watching? I guess when they're keying in on you, how did that help? Well, how did that teach you, and how did that help you grow throughout the whole season? Like, how did that change your style throughout the rest of the season? Um, you know, it's, it's really just what I, what I really got, got from it, you know, that whole game is, um, really just knowing that, like I said before, like there's mm-hmm. tons of other ways that I can still have an impact on our success. And it's, it's really just not even, you know, being able to score, you know, being able to get to the line, being able to draw fouls, you know, it's other things that I can do as well. That I that I wasn't really doing too much of a good job of that game, mm-hmm. or rebounding, getting deflections, you know, locking up on defense, you know, boxing out, uh, making making hustle plays, making you know one more extra extra passes, 
And um, it's just something that, that uh, just watching it, but after I'm done watching it, it's just something that I constantly remind myself that it's something that I can do and it's something that I have to, you know, start to do more of, you know. And um, just knowing that, you know, that's not the not the only only team that, you know, we're going to see that's going to do those type of things or play that type of way when it comes to, you know, individual matchups or team game plans when it comes to, you know, defending me or, you know, defending our team and our, and our sets and our offense mm-hmm. or even on the defensive end as well. And um, so, yeah, really, I would just say that. All right, so with the, the Memphis game getting canceled due to the Tigers having some issues with their COVID protocol, we'll see when Temple plays next. Keep your eyes peeled. Maybe they, they play against somebody else this weekend. We'll see, and we'll, of course, see what Damian Dunn's status is. Again, it seems to be up in the air. Uh, obviously, they miss him. Obviously, getting him back on the floor is going to be a priority, so stay tuned for more news there. Um, switching over to football, uh, we do have some recruiting news Temple already has its first verbal commitment from the 2022 class, and they get a player from St. Joe's Prep again, just up the street. Uh, Reese Clark, uh, a tight end. Sam Newman talked to him. His story is up on the site right now. Again, if you are an lscoop.com subscriber, you can check out that story. Um, Sam, we don't want to spoil the whole story for everybody, but if you give them just a, a brief synopsis of the story, I think maybe one of the things that you that you keyed in on with him is you know, every guy's different, but this might be a, a little bit of a trend here where it's not unusual for them to get an early commitment, but he said something to you that you think might possibly be a trend now because of the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. Reese was pretty candid about, you know, he, he didn't feel like he could wait around any longer. He has, I mean, he's part of a class where you have no idea what, how many spots are going to be available just because of the transfer portal and players with extra years of eligibility. So, I mean, you know, Gabe Infante was his head coach his freshman year at, at um, St. Joe's Prep. This was all the way. This was Infante, who did a great job by recruiting him, bringing him in, uh, Mike Yaramovich as well. Um, and he just felt like he couldn't wait around any longer. And obviously, I mean, I know what fans some, sometimes worry about, you know, the offers and the interest. But, I mean, he was getting other – he was getting interest from Penn State, that level of stuff. But he, he didn't – I mean, Temple was his only offer. He didn't want to wait anymore. And I mean, I, you can't really blame the kid because we don't know what it's going to look like. So he wanted to lock himself in and he did. And he's pretty close with Malik Cooper too. So that helps Um, just the type of player they're getting in him. I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but you know, he's a six foot four, 210 pound tight end. Essentially he's a, he's a big bodied wide receiver kind of, he's, he's kind of that new breed of, you know, tight end where it's kind of like an H back where you can line him up in the slot, you know, line him up in the box out of the backfield, literally. I mean, or out wide, he's pretty much like that, that new breed of tight end kind of, kind of what, Maybe what they're thinking they're getting in Coleman Jeff got a little bit. I think this is, you know, maybe that local version of him. And um, I think it's a nice get for their their first, um, you know, member of the 2022 class. I, what I will say that is interesting, uh, just switching gears here, is I did talk to Trey Simmons, who is in the same class as him. He is over at Winslow uh, in South Jersey. And he said that he was told by, you know, well, I'll have a story up on this later. He said that he was told by coaches that um, – you know, they're not really, they weren't really worrying about the 2022 class until after the 2021 signing period was over. So maybe Reese Clark kind of, you know, saw 
the writing on the wall and was like, okay, well, if recruiting is going to start picking up, I need to, I need the sign. So I, th- I think that was interesting mentioned by trade and that story should be up on the site maybe later today or maybe later Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you're reading this or watching or listening, I can't even get that right. Um, but I, I do think, <laughs> I do think um, what can't be under understated here is Gabe Infante's impact on, you know, those St. Joe's prep kids and being able to bring them here. But he also has that, recruiting he's helping build that recruiting footprint in south jersey as well with trey simmons so i I, like i said i mean i just already mentioned this but i think it's a it's a pretty good get for their first class of 22 commit and so we'll have i mean i'm sorry i think just hopping on real quick i mean that's back-to-back years that their first commit or first one of their two commits is st joe st joe's kid um i mean Millie cooper was last year i think they're i think they're actually cousins um cooper and uh reese so i believe they're actually cousins but yeah i mean i think this is the last class that you could say gabe like coached these kids because i mean they were freshmen and now this can be his third year at temple but he still has those connections you also see it elsewhere in philadelphia like they're recruiting kareem lewis who's an athlete from roman catholic gabe infante is the lead recruiter there so uh for everybody that always complains about hey temple needs to recruit its own backyard they're trying to recruit their own backyard they also they also um, offered a bunch of Newman Gritty kids in this class of twenty two as well. So I think if just because of what things are happening and what we saw players leaving, I think you might see them continue to really build that footprint locally and try and get uh, try and get guys to, to come back. Uh, yeah, stay locally is what I meant. Yeah, for that part, I mean, if you're a fan of Temple recruiting in the past, whatever it might be. Um, New Magretti is now Imhotep of 2012-2013. Albie Crosby is down there now. It's not the same New Magretti football program that it was five, six, seven years ago. They got some absolute dudes there. Um, they have a four-star linebacker announcing tonight. Who on, this might piss off Temple fans, who I think is expected to announce for Rutgers. He's a top 250 kid. So they, they have some absolute talent down in New Magretti nowadays, including on the basketball court. Yes, they do. Uh, so we'll have, as Sam hinted at, more football recruiting news for you coming up in the coming days and coming weeks. We'll head over to the mailbag now. Got several mailbag questions to get to from the message board. Uh, one texted into us as well. First message board question comes from JHD722. His question is, what's up with Parks and Strickland, referring to Arashma Parks and Ty Strickland? So Ty Strickland actually got back on the court Last night, you know, the past few games, it looks like he hasn't even been dressed in terms of his actual game gear, but he played a couple minutes last night, so we know he's healthy enough to play. I mean, my read on this is that that they're just not getting minutes. Sam, Kyle, Sam, unless you guys have another take on this, I mean, they're just just not earning minutes, I'm assuming, right? I don't think it's anything health-related. I know these guys have both had shoulder issues, Arashman more than Ty. Ty had the off-season shoulder surgery, but he played last night. So it's just a case of them not doing enough to get on the floor. I would say that's probably where we're at right now. I think the with Nick Jordan playing with Nick Jordan and Quincy Adam McCoy and Caleb Battle all playing better and all get earning minutes. I, I think that's probably the reason they're they're seeing fewer court time or seeing less court time. Yeah, I would say especially with Ty. I mean, before yesterday's game where they're playing without Dunn, where were minutes for guards going to come from? I mean, you're playing with. Caleb, Jeremiah, Damian Dunn, Brendan Barry, to a lesser extent, uh, Quincy. Like, there's just not enough minutes for guards there. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's a writing on the wall situation. I mean, Ty's already transferred once, but I just, I think yeah, I think he has a role when they're a guard down, and they were a guard down against Tulsa. All right. Next question 
uh, from the mailbag from the message board from Temple J. Recruiting updates? Question mark. So, I mean, if we're looking at who they're going to try to go after with that last scholarship that's available to them from 2021, assuming that the roster stays the same, I would assume, yeah, I, I wouldn't look so much at the high school ranks. I think, as we've mentioned several times before, I think they'll they'll scour the transfer portal for a big and maybe even uh, a one-year scoring guard, somebody who can come in and just be instant offense, whether that's someone who tries to step into the starting lineup uh, or off the off the bench. If you're looking at 2022, again, we just have to see what happens with the roster. And there's a mailbag question about this later. Are Dre Perry and JP Mormon back? Uh, we just have to see, and it, the roster could take shape otherwise. If it's just one scholarship, we know that they made a run at Jameel Brown from the Haverford School. They didn't get him. He said to Purdue. If they can really kind of just focus in on one guy, if that's all they need, we'll see. But my gut tells me that they might be looking for a couple guys in the 2022 class, just knowing what the portal might be and how the roster might take shape. Uh, Sam, you talked to AJ Brown, uh, a guard down in Florida. That's a name to keep an eye on. But uh, I didn't think we'd be saying this in February, but I think it's kind of too soon to tell. I mean, we don't have anything super credible right now. Again, with uh, I think it's going to be more of a transfer for or transfer to for 2021, and uh, and then for 2022, if it's one or two guys, same thing. I mean, I wonder how much they'll look at the high school ranks and how much they'll look at somebody who's immediately eligible as a as a transfer. Uh, next question comes from C. H. Evans. Again, from the message board, while there were few highlights in the Tulsa game, I was encouraged by some of the things I saw from Nick Jordan. In particular, his dribble drive through traffic and dish to Jake Forrester through an extremely small window was something we're not used to seeing at Temple. Understanding that he's far from a finished product, which, Sam, you've, you've talked about this several times before and talking to him, uh, he brings some modern big man skills. What are your expectations for Nick, and do you think he was an under-the-radar steal? So Sam Cohn will send this over to you since you've – uh, you covered his recruitment and uh, talked about this a lot. I'm not sure if I said this on this podcast or if I said it to one of you guys, or I'm not really sure, but I think that Nick Jordan, and this is like looking to the future speaking, I think he has the potential to be similar. I think, I think he'll be a better Jake Forrester. I, I think that's realistically what his ceiling is. I think he'll be a better Jake Forrester. When he first, when I was first covering his recruitment and when I was first kind of trying to understand what his game was because it wasn't on a film on him and in talking to him and talking to his coach it seemed like he was and talking to uh yeah talking to those guys it seemed like what temple wanted to do with him was have him be more so like a taller dre perry and put him like flying on the wing extend his game out to the three-point line to be a shooter clearly that's not who he is he's a guy that is more comfortable on the interior but has shown it took Jake Forrester over a year to finally take more than two eight footers. He's probably taken five, eight footers since he's gotten to temple. Um, Nick Jordan seems to be a lot more comfortable turning, facing the basket and pulling. Uh, he seems to be a lot more comfortable. He seems to be getting more comfortable in the interior and his game is a lot more similar to Jake Forrester's than I had originally thought in just watching him play. So I think that's probably his ceiling is a better Jake Forrester. I think he's going to play a very similar position. And I think that's the kind of thing that's going to help him, if, especially if they maybe in a smaller lineup, he's got a similar build. He's got a, he's a little more, what's the word, I guess, nimble 
uh, in the interior. And I think if, if he can draw that kind of attention inside, I think the same thing as Jay Forster does. It opens up the floor a lot for shooters and he can draw attention. He can draw doubles. He can get defenses to collapse. I, I, th- I think he's got a bright future if he continues to, to move at this pace, just because as Aaron McKee said, they're giving him a slice of the cake. They're giving him a bite of the apple, whatever food metaphor he used. Um, they're like giving him a little more, a little more, a little, little taste of the game. And he's, I mean, he's proven he's, he's got it. He's, he's able to help the team. A bite of Kyle's stolen burrito? Well, first of all, I got the make, mix your own combo, whatever, where it was enchilada, beef taco, and burrito. That's but um, nice your thing, toilet holding up. The second, the second part of this question was, do you think he's a steal? I'll hedge everything by saying it's a very small sample size. He's, he's very young. But, like, I'm at, he's going to really benefit from the free year. They're going to come back next year. He already prepped for a year. So he's going to be like a 20-year-old freshman that's played Division One basketball. That's really going to help him. And that might be a situation where two, three years down the line, you go like, how did this kid fall into Temple's lap? Could be Temple's Perry Ellis. One of those guys where you're like, he's been there for like eight years. Still around. Still around. He's still at Kansas, isn't he? He is, definitely. He's, still got a, he's, a, he's a redshirt sophomore at Kansas. Um, now, and with the free year of eligibility, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. So along those lines, and this is something that we were talking about, this leads into Park Al's question. Question is, any idea how the conversations with the seniors will go regarding whether they stay? Jordan is increasing his minutes and looking decent, and Sage Tolbert will hopefully be back. Is McKee willing to sit Dre Perry and J.P. Mormon next year, even though they're super seniors? Will he nudge them away from the program if he thinks they won't really contribute more than depth? That sounds like the you know the the vague answer but that remains to be seen i think it's definitely fair to contemplate as a fan um i don't know i i don't know these are i think it's there are some coaches pre-covid and pre um you know pre you know the uh extra year of eligibility who who were out there would have no problems being ruthless and going to going to a player and saying Hey, we'd love to have you back, but if you want to play more than three minutes a game, it's not going to be here. Um, is Aaron McKee that guy? I, I don't know, but I think it's fair to 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 wonder about that. If if Nick Jordan continues to show you stuff, they feel like they know what they have. Uh, and Sage Tolbert, Jaleel White, remember Jaleel could be a point guard. He could be a you know a small forward. You know, I mean, there's a lot. There are a lot of things that he can do. So I think it's fair to wonder about this. Um, and we've talked about this before. How do those conversations go? I think they're, I imagine they're, they're fair, open and honest. They'll happen after the season goes, uh, you know, moves along. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to this, but I, I, I get why fans are wondering about it. Yeah. I just wanted to say, like, I think we talked about this earlier, like off, off the, um, you know, record, well, not off the record, but on the pod, um, JP did not play well last night at all. Like he was very bad, but I think he, as a facilitator, he has looked good, but when he's, you know, you asked him to step in the role of Jake Forrester at the five, he kind of tries to do it a little bit too much. And I think he tries to, you know, kind of create his own scoring opportunities and it never really ends well. Um, I don't, I, I, it's tough. I, I think you, can you, can you really commit to these guys playing 15, 20 minutes next year? Like that's, that's the question, but I think JP has definitely shown you more this season than Dre has. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I would say unless college basketball is going to be start being like rugby where they have different formats, like yeah, this is basketball sevens. We're playing seven on seven now. Like there's just not enough minutes for all three of these guys to come back. Um, I, I'm, I'm lumping Brendan Berry in there as well. I mean, I think you take 
in an ideal world, maybe you want one of them to come back. I don't know particularly which one, but I think just minutes wise, like you can't have another year where Quincy's playing 10 minutes a game and Nick Jordan's playing 11 minutes a game. Like these guys are going to start demanding bigger roles with their play and practice that you need to be able to accommodate. All right. So next question uh, comes from Temple J. Another question from Temple J. Any whispers on the AD situation? So again, we've, we've talked about this before. Fran Dunphy is the acting interim athletic director. The notion out there seems to be that they will hire a new athletic director when they hire a new president. So along those lines, a message board question from T uh, two one five Temple Tough to further expand on the above question: Has anyone put out a general time frame of when they would like to have a new president hired? I believe it was mentioned elsewhere that they were going to use a search firm. So I wouldn't think that the process should be dragging out as long as it has. I mean, again, I think that it's the process is where it is right now, which is to say it's, it hasn't been concluded. I mean, on February 2nd, Mitchell Morgan, who's the, the chair of the board of trustees at Temple, uh, had sent out an email to the Temple community, talked about how they held nine town halls in October and November with various constituencies. Uh, he said in part that, uh, that res the responses to a community-wide survey together with feedback from the town halls was synthesized by our search firm and resulted in the presidential search perspective. So yes, there is a search firm and that presidential search perspective is, is just something that they have out there that they're, I'm assuming they're, they're showing to potential candidates. Uh, and in that email, he just said that he would provide updates as the process moves forward. So, you know, that that's where it stands right now. Um, so I don't know, it could be a few more months. We, the, there was nothing in that email that he sent out that indicated a definitive timeline. But again, you know, and I, I think people have posted it on other forums. Again, it, it seems like they're, the, you know, the rationale is going to be hire the new president, then hire the new athletic director. I get why there's a lot of, um, you know, wonderment about it because they're, they're two extremely important leadership positions at the university, but I don't have much more than that right now. I don't think there's been anything definitive in terms of, uh, of a timeline. Uh, next question from Twitter at off the hook three, two part question. Number one, over the next three years, which program has more upside temple men's basketball or football? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know which one has the higher floor. Um, I think I would say that I'm more optimistic about football's floor than I am basketball's floor. And that's not to say we talked earlier about, Hey, do you think they're on the right path in basketball? And I think, I think they are. And I think that they've gone over such a massive overhaul through their philosophy and their recruiting blueprint and the type of players they have here that if it works, it's really going to work. Um, but it, it could not work. I mean, for all we know, Hey, Damian Dunn um, never really develops an outside shot. He never gets the decision-making going and you, and you don't know. For all, but for football, I feel like there's enough of a track record there with the coaching staff and their success at NIU to know that I'm fairly confident that eventually they will be back to being a bowl-eligible team, whether that's this year or 2022, I don't know. I'll say bigger upside, I'll say basketball. Sam Newman, and we'll go to Sam Cohn. Yeah, I, I would tend to, you know, agree with Kyle about bigger, maybe the bigger upside being basketball right now. I just don't know what football is going to look over the next couple of years. Um, you just, we don't know what the transfer portal, I think it's everything, as we like to say, is so fluid with with the NCAA and, and football. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like just because we've, we've talked about how they're headed in the right direction. We like that the recruiting class they're coming in. Zach Hicks and his similar look like they're two of the better players from around this area. 
I, I trend to say basketball. I would agree with Ty. I just, I just don't know. I mean, I think we need to kind of see, we've seen what, I think we've seen basketball, the glimpses of the development, but we haven't, you haven't really seen that with football. I think, you know, talk to, we'll talk to me after this next season and we'll, and we'll see. Sam Cohen. I, I'm not sure I can even give you a definitive answer. I really don't know. Um, I think that both teams, Kyle mentioned like the track record of Temple football's coaching staff to getting back to that point where they can be bowl eligible. It's clear they're in that process of like building that identity back to what, or I guess even just because it's Rock Carey two, three years in, like building that identity of what he wants. I think once they get to that point and they have the pieces they want, I think they will be that bowl eligible team. When it comes to basketball, I think where you're looking at is they have the core, they have that young core, and now it's how do you complement it and how do you grow it? And so I think they're in different situations. And I think giving you a definitive answer about who has a bigger upside is a really hard question right now. With that being said, I'm going to go basketball. I'm going to go basketball too. And, and my answer kind of relates to something that Pat Egan from 97.5 The Fanatic is asking with his uh, final mailbag question here. I think that, and, and I could be wrong because we haven't really seen it with basketball yet. We haven't really truly seen how the, the new transfer portal is going to affect basketball as much as we have with football. I think basketball is less vulnerable than football. Again, two, two different sports, two obviously different sets of numbers. I'm going to go basketball. I'm encouraged by the fact that they were able to, you know, you, you recruit the hell out of Stevie Mitchell. You don't get him. He goes to Marquette. You recover by getting a, a guy in Sierra Miller who's playing like the best guard in the city right now. And we'll see if that continues. We have no reason to think that it won't. Getting Zach Hicks from Camden Catholic, whether he comes in plays right away or whether he redshirts next year, you're still getting a, a you know a six eight six seven six eight you know forward who can shoot the hell out of the ball. So you're bringing in more shooting. You're getting a couple of local guys. If that turns around for you, I think it creates more good karma, more good vibes, and I think that they can get older quicker and get better quicker through the portal. Whereas football. It, sure. I, I agree with Kyle. I think they have their, their, the staff there has a proven track record of winning, being consistently bowl eligible, winning conference championships. We've seen that they're a little bit more vulnerable uh, to the portal because of the nature of football. Whereas in basketball, you might just need one or two guys to really completely turn around your fortune. So I'll say basketball as well. Uh, question number two here. Nope, 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 nope. I got something to say. <laughs> something you said yeah, there right. where you said, where he said, hey, basketball might be more protected by this and they might not be as impacted by the transfer portal. They already happened. This time last year, a quarter of Temple's roster transferred out. Yeah, You but saw Monty Scott leave. You saw Josh Pierre leave. You saw, uh, who am I blanking on, Justin Hamilton leave. Yes, they all had their own individual reasons for it. The same exact, there's the same exact reasons for football too. I think it's just recency bias. More I, to I, the point though. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think it's just that this is more fresh for football. Like, like people's minds is talking, people are talking about, hey, this feels like the 2000s. It feels like terrible. And this football program is just going down the gutter. That's because all this stuff just happened. You haven't been able to see the bounce back yet, if there is one. It's the fact that we're in the dog days of winter where all this crap, all this bad news happens and good news is it's hard to overcome that PR aspect right now. But I think basketball, this time last year, people were having the exact same thoughts about basketball saying, why, why can't Aaron keep these guys in here? Monty Scott just dropped 20 points against UConn after not doing anything else for eight games. Why is he transferring? Like, I feel like they've already gone through that. But I think that, to, to me, the biggest difference is, and I mean, it's a fair point, but the biggest difference is, I think we can say rather unequivocally that Rod Carey did not want 
uh, Arnold Ebichetti to leave, Ifan Maje to leave, Anthony Russo to leave. Um, you know, one of those three I might disagree with, but I, I won't elaborate. <laughs> well, say, but whereas, like, do you really? And I, I hate to be so blunt, but I don't. I, I, I was told that the conversation with Monty Scott was, if you feel like you got to go, you got to go. If, if you want to stay here, there's a, there's a place for you. Um, Josh Pierre-Louis, great athlete, wish him well, but I don't think that was a situation where Temple was clamoring to have him back. Uh, Justin Hamilton, he's size, he's length. I don't think he was really jiving with this coaching staff. Justin I don't, Hamilton's averaging like a double-double in the MAC right now. Sure this he would is. Be a, he, this would be a better team with him on it. He absolutely. Well, yeah, he he absolutely is. It would be. It would well be. Uh, Sam Cook is giving me the eyes. Imagine we're talking about hey, Nick Jordan has to play, has to step in. Imagine if Justin Hamilton was your second big right now. I just don't get the vibe from from the coaching staff that they were Wait. really upset to see any of these guys go. No, but how many chances – I'm sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. How many chances did Justin Hamilton have to show that he could play and he I, he just didn't prove anything? Sure, apparently one fewer than he needed because he went to Kent but State and he's shown that he can play. But granted, his double-double is now nine points and seven boards. But it's well, still then, like – then it's- then it becomes the argument of if you're not in a position where you're happy and jiving, then go somewhere else and you'll sure. thrive. I completely agree. I think it's also the point of you're looking at a guy who wants the immediate I'm at the end of my collegiate career. I need that opportunity versus a program that we're blowing this shit up and we want to like completely start over. It makes sense on both sides of them to go, but the 2020 through 2021 Temple Owls would be a better team with Justin Hamilton. on them. Do you think that Justin Hamilton is the same Justin Hamilton no. They, yeah, or I mean, yes, you, but a, yes, but a, a 16 or 14 minute pace as opposed to a 26 minute so pace. So last year's Justin Hamilton becomes this year's Justin Hamilton elsewhere if he stays at Temple. As in, like, does he make that leap if he stays? I'm like he, making this too confusing. Does he make that leap if he stays at Temple? Sure. To That's what I'm ex- asking. Do to you, a, to a, a prorated extent. You have the 2019-2020 Justin Hamilton who's playing 10 minutes a game, goes to Kent State, becomes 2020-2021 Justin Hamilton at 24 minutes a game. You can meet him in the middle. He would have played a little more in this this year, this reincarnation of Temple, where he would have probably played 16, 17 minutes a game and given them a second rebounding threat. He wouldn't have all of a sudden become Wilt Chamberlain or anything like that or an all-conference player, but I think there is a glaring hole on this team, which was initially – from a fan's perspective, going to be filled by Sage Tolbert of that second big, who now there is not that second big. Nick Jordan, we're talking a lot about his future. People are asking, where is the Rashma parked? Justin Hamilton would have played a significant role in this team. Would he have had the same success? I don't think so. Pro-rated amount. Pro-rated. <laughs> yeah, pretty, <laughs> very pro-rated. The second part of Off the Hook's question is, uh, the feeling you get from watching Temple Sports is that it feels like the early 2000s what needs to, so I'm assuming he's not talking about the 2001 Elite Eight run. He's talking about the 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 last years of John Cheney's uh, tenure at Temple, and then also the 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 bad early 2000s of football before Al Golden got there. What needs to change to get the arrow pointing up again? Uh, simple. They got to win. They got to win in both sports. They got to win sooner rather than later to 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 retain some players, get some get some fans back into the into the seats whenever fans are allowed to get back into seats. But they, I mean, they 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 have to. I mean, any of us could say this. They have to hit on recruits and they got to win. I mean, if you're an optimist, which I don't know if I am, like if I look within myself, am I an optimist? I don't know. But if you're an optimist, I think you think, okay, it's 2013. 
it's 2013 where the football team went two and 10 and the basketball team went nine and 22 and they both bounced back with better years going forward and, and kind of bounced away from that. Obviously Matt rule takes the program football program to levels it's never been to before basketball ends up gets to the, that nine 22 win season was a blip and they end up going back to the tournament and yada, yada, yada. Um, I tend to think it's somewhere in between. I don't know if it's fully 2013 where all of a sudden three years from now, Temple's going to be 10 and two in football and beating Penn state. But I don't think it's 2003 where you're like, well, this is us now. We just get the crack kicked out of us by Louisville, 62 to nothing, and we move on. Like, I think it's it's never as bad as it seems. You're just in the weeds. Last it's, like, uh, it's like Ferris Bueller. You're not depressed. You just can't think of anything good to do. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you're just, yeah, yeah, just shift your mind. Shift your mind to your focus. Visualize. Visualize the future. Sam Newman, did you have? A, did you get excited by the Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference there? You look like you were about to swoop in, but it's over his shoulder. I did. It's over my shoulder. On a Ferris Bueller's poster. Oh, okay. Man. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, last question here again from our friend Pat Egan, who's on the 97.5 The Fanatic Morning Show. Uh, again, if you don't know Pat's backstory, Pat didn't go to Temple, but he's been a longtime Temple fan, listens to the podcast. We appreciate that. Pat's question: uh, My instant fear with all the losing going on is that some of the core of Aaron's team might look to transfer. He has Damian Dunn in parentheses. It's probably just from the recent string of transfers from football from the football team. But do you guys think those fears are at all warranted? No one wants to play for losing program. I'll be one. I'll be at one that looks to be close and he has close and all caps. So again, as I alluded to before, we haven't really seen the effects just yet of the transfer portal on basketball, but here we go. So uh, Sam Newman, I'll let you take this one first. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I understand Pat's concerns, but I don't see with the basketball team. I, I feel like you see a lot of the guys who are, who are buying into what they're doing. Um, and, it, and it's clear by the answers that they give us in, in our sessions that like, yeah, this is, there's going to be some growing pains, but we're working towards something. And Damian Dunn has been, I don't know what he said, the Sam's conversation, but Sam wrote a great story. Um, you should check that out. Um, but, you know, it's, it seems like anytime we talk to him, he, he's mentioned the growing pains. So I think, with that, you understand that he's a part of this process. But last night, taking into account that, like, when Ty Strickland was getting buckets, Nick Jordan was getting buckets, Quincy Adam McCoya was nailing threes, Damian Dunn was on the bench celebrating. He was happy to see those guys. He, he, he was lively. And he's not playing, but it, it seems like – I don't know. A guy like Damian Dunn to me seems like that he's, he's bought into the, to what they want to do. And I, I, I don't – I can't speak for what's happening in the locker room. We generally have no idea, but – I just get the feeling that a lot of guys are, are buying into what Aaron is doing. And if they weren't a part of that, I think last year, what it, this past off season would have been, a, you know, well, no, you can't really say that because their entire roster has kind of been whatever. I, I think the guys that are here are buying into what Aaron and his staff are, are, are selling them. And, and I think they're, they're here to stay. Sam, Kyle, yeah, the one thing I'll agree. Um, the one thing I'll add just from talking with Damian Dunn and Sam makes a good point that it, it, it seems from our perspective that these guys enjoy playing together. It seems like they understand that they're, that this is a process. It seems like they understand that there are growing pains they have to go through. Um, only thing I'll add is in my conversation with Damien Dunn, he did say something along the lines of um, they all a understand that idea and B they're all on the same agenda about what, what they need to do moving forward. They all first, the first way to fix a problem is to recognize that there is a problem. And it sounds like they know that there's a problem and they know there are things they need to work on and things they need to fix. Doctor. And <laughs> um, and he made it pretty clear that I mean, the last question I asked him was like, okay, you're on a four game losing streak. Uh, as, as a vocal person in the locker room, which 
I, he recognized that he thinks that he is. And as a leader on this team, as a starting guard, how do you like kind of keep the, um, keep the morale high? And he said, it's a, it's a lot of just them understanding where they're at in their season, where they're at in their careers, where they're at in the world, just playing during a pandemic, being appreciative. He's, he quoted Aaron McKee a handful of times. You're just saying that like they, the coaches tell them a lot to be appreciative that they can play the season to be appreciative of where they are and that they do understand that they do have a ways to go, but they're all on the same agenda. They're all on the same page. You said they're all locked in together. It's the whole quote unquote all in. Um, And you know, there's a ways to go, but it seems like they all seem to be happy playing with each other. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I think nobody's more aware of the, um, this hopefully riles up Boston Sam's uh, emotions. I don't, I don't think any, I don't think think anybody's more aware of the process than the people going undergoing the process. (laughs) Like they are in the facility. I don't think they all of a sudden thought they were going to be this 18 and two team that was going to make the NCAA tournament. I think they realized how young and how new and how fresh everything was in the locker room. I don't think one, you don't think you see that as often in basketball anyway, like even just during regular terms, I feel like football is just so much more like open to like transfer mania. But no, I don't, I don't think at least at this point that that is a fear. I think the bigger issue might be that, Hey, are you going to have log jams at certain positions? Let's use point guard as an example. You have Julia White, you have Ty Strickland, you have Jeremiah Williams, you have Hysir Miller coming in uh, point guard. Like at a certain point, there can only be so many point guards or position changes. Does Julia White become a wing? Things like that. I think those are more likely to lead to transfer situations than just somebody being like, I'm upset. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm going to transfer out of this uh, podcast in a couple minutes. <laughs> you head to the portal. Um, I haven't gotten, and again, we, we have to obviously admit that we're not around the facility. We can't go to watch practice in person. You can't have the, the, the side off the record, you know, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Like the off the record conversations that lead you to other conclusions. So we're not around as often as we would like to be. So you can't say that you truly pick up on those conversations where you think like, Hey, this guy might be unhappy or that guy might be unhappy. I I mean, I can tell you that I have not, I have not gotten the vibe Again, like I think the popular notion is like, yeah, Ty Ty Strickland could be the odd man out. Uh, again, no no one has said that definitively. Ty has not said that definitively. I understand that people's minds drift there. Beyond that, I haven't heard anything that would indicate that anybody's on their way out. But again, we'll see what this offseason is like. I think sometimes, yeah, I've talked to a couple of guys who are no longer in the coaching profession who used to be college coaches and say, sure, some of the some of the teams in the American could be vulnerable with their recruits based on like the, the schools regionally who might've recruited them from the ACC or the big 10 or the big 12 or something like that, you know, but we have to see, again, I've gotten the vibe that these guys are all bought in, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there again. Fair question. We'll just have to see how it goes, Pat. So um, thank you all for, for tuning in. Hopefully the next time Kyle orders food, it will arrive safely and on time. Sam, Pat didn't have Pat didn't have a goofy question for us. He did not have a goofy question. I asked him for the goofy follow up. He did not have a goofy question. So uh, he might he might text it later. And then all we- right, can we ask Pat a goofy question that he has to get back to us on? Yeah, we, we need a Grubhub. We need a we need a Grubhub story from him, or we need a food delivery mishap story from him. Yeah, Pat, when you when you listen to the podcast, if you could share, because Pat's full of, of goofy stories. He gets he gets made fun of on the show. Um, He's just a, he's just a, a character to begin with. He plays, 
plays a lot of hockey. Um, I don't know. He's, he's gotta have, he's gotta have some sort of goofy story. So Pat, if you're listening and we, we hope he got uh, well, sort of dragged a little bit today. Somebody was making fun of him today or yesterday for the way he dressed for the morning show or something. There's some like some knob from Delaware County or something was talking about like, Oh, you should start dressing more professionally. If I worked in morning radio, like, I mean, look at me now. I'm working from home. I'm in a Q-zip and sweatpants. Everything's fine. If I was working in morning radio where you had to make me get up at like four in the morning to drive in, oh, God, no. Oh, no. I'd be disheveled. You, I'd be brushing my teeth on the way. You always say when you talk about your life ending ending early, you always talk about your life ending prematurely, and you say, oh, by the time I'm 60, I'll be lucky if I'm wearing pants at that point. Yeah, but that was before fitness, Kyle, came into the realm. I lost 55 pounds. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. I keep, you're never going to see it. Though That being said, the, wor- the worst slash best part of working from home is it has completely screwed up my like dressing cycle. Because mm-hmm. it used to be I go to sleep, I wake up, I shower, I put on clothes, I take them off when I get home from work, rinse, lather, repeat. Now, I'm working out in the afternoon instead of like in the morning. So I'm showering in the afternoon. So now it's you wake up. What are you doing? You're not going to take a shower. Just take a shower later in the day. You're screwed. So what my cycle now is as somebody's called me, my cycle now is work, work out, shower, change into normal clothes like this. I put on yesterday. So like <laughs> then you, you, is that where you're still getting the full use of the quarter zip? You take it off to go to bed, you put it back on the next day and then you wear it until you rinse shower. You're still getting the full cycle of clothes. Mm. Absolutely love it. Cause I felt bad. Cause like I have a lot of Q zips. Like I got like quarter zips and I wasn't wearing them. So I had to make a conscious effort to be like, you know what? Kyle, if it makes you feel better, I'm wearing pajamas right now. Yeah. See. It, it, I saw that. You got up earlier. You, 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 your, uh, your PJ pants. Very much, very much in pajama pants right now. Wearing a, te- a temple campus rec sweatshirt and, and shorts and slippers. I, I wasn't joking earlier this week in our group chat when we have the cone zone for like basketball play breakdown. I want like the Sam Newman zone of like breaking down. Like what did the, what did the ref see here? What did the official see here? <laughs> This, this is how I would have called it on my court. Those were some terrible calls. This is how this is like you. If you came to a student rec and like you you performed this way, I would have called that. That would have been a flagrant one. <laughs> I'll write up some incident reports too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Pat. Yeah. If you're listening, uh, share. Breaking some- news. Not super huge, but obviously very impactful. Uh, the NCAA voted to extend the dead period through May 31st. So. Ooh. Great success. When we talked earlier about, hey, if you're a 2022 or a 2021 and you have a scholarship out there, you should accept that scholarship. Yep. Because this is the weirdest recruiting time. Yes, this is the weirdest recruiting time of all time. Yeah. All right. Well, again, Pat, share share a goofy story with us. If you have one with uh, food delivery or anything at all, thank you to all of you for listening once again. We'll be back with you next week. Take care.